This week on Thinking Biblically, we're going to hear the faith journey of a Jewish woman who was raised in a very devout atheist household, who happens also to be my wife. Welcome back to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Last week's episode, which was a biblical perspective on COVID-19, was one of the most popular ones uh, to date. Uh, This is from Anne in Toronto. She writes, At my church, there hasn't been any discussions or sermons on how, as believers, we can deal with the pandemic, and I felt for some time now that I needed guidance in that area. It's so easy to be immersed in the thinking of the world. In fact, it's unavoidable, which is why this video was so helpful. I need practical reminders, daily, even hourly reminders, because otherwise I give in to fear. And then Lynn in Langley, British Columbia writes, Thanks for putting words to feelings many have, but have either been afraid to express or not quite sure how to express. So a very special thank you to all those who have written in, and please do send me your questions, your comments. You might have um, topics that uh, you'd like to suggest that I cover, or maybe even uh, guests that you'd like me to consider. So please remember, you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org, and also, Please help get the word out by sharing and subscribing and so on. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce to you you all my wife, Robin Gilman. Um, I thought I should be introducing her formally to you just like I do everyone else, because that is really how to think biblically towards one's spouse, is to treat them with at least the same amount of honor, probably a lot much more than uh, you would anybody else. So here we go. Robin Gilman is a Jewish believer in Yeshua, Jesus. We've been married for over 41 years. She's the mother of our 10 now all adult children, all of whom have been homeschooled, the vast amount of which Robin has shouldered. That particular career is coming to an end as our youngest will be graduating high school this spring. But as I can attest, she is more than busy with many other things, including her writing. Robin has spoken at several homeschool conferences and has published two books, one for homeschooling parents called Stress-Free Homeschooling. And she's just released a children's illustrated book entitled Daniel's Dilemma. It's it's illustrated by our daughter-in-law, Alexandra. And you're going to hear more about this a little later. She's currently working on several other writing projects, including her blog, and you'll also hear about how you can you can check that out later. Robin loves to encourage others, especially young mothers, whether in person or through her writing and speaking. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, Alan. Well, we've been talking for a while about having you on, and uh, you're going to be telling your own uh, faith journey. Um, and as you know, one of the reasons why I, one of the reasons why I love hearing you tell your story, among many reasons, is that it's so different from mine, even though our backgrounds have so much commonality. Now, many people know that we're both Jewish, but more than that, um, we both grew up in the same part of Montreal, and it's not really right to say together, but we lived in the same neighborhood. We went to the same public school. I, I moved to the area 
uh, in just before grade three, and your uh, your older brother was in my class. And then um, a year later, my parents sent me to learn Yiddish, the language of Eastern European, the Eastern European Jewish world. And you were in grade two at the time, and we were in the same Yiddish school class together. And so we went to the same candy store, we're familiar with the same restaurants, probably ate the same pizza, and, and so on. And then, of course, we would see each other, whether we noticed each other in those days, uh, that uh, doesn't seem uh, that that didn't really happen. But I, here's the surprise question I wanted to ask you. We've been talking about doing this for a while, and we, just like I do with my other guests, we spend some time get, getting ready just before we started, but I do have a surprise question. This, hey folks, this is risky when you do this with your own wife. So Robin, what is your earliest memory of me? Well, um, it would be in our Yiddish school class. And I mean, I didn't really, I didn't really notice boys in those days at that age. Girls tended, girls played with girls usually and, and um, boys played with boys um, for the most part. It was after we had both become believers. And so I'm kind of jumping. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to say that you, yet. Yeah. So, so you don't have, you don't really, well, I know you, when my name came up, uh, when we had both become believers, then my name sounded familiar and you remembered that I was in your Yiddish school class. But you could be honest. Yes. I don't know if you've ever said this to me before. Did you really remember me from Yiddish school? Well, when I heard your name, I knew it was one of these two boys that hung out together. Yeah. I was very, very skinny. And the let's say the other one was not which is a little funny that is, it was kind of like Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> so, well, so, okay, so that's, that's fair. That's I fair. Because I've got, I, I've got a memory. <laughs> I got a memory. Now, of course, okay. because your brother was in my class, I knew he had a sister and you were both in the, in the theater school. I think he was there when we first started, but I remember when you once showed up with a cast. And I, rem I remember that. And what, the reason why that was memorable is how long after your brother hurt his arm, did you hurt yours? I don't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't short. Like it wasn't a month or two later. It might've been a year or two. Oh, come on. Know. In my memory, it was way, I, oh no, no. It's gotta be the week following. Cause that was the, that was why I took notice of it. Like your brother hurt his arm. Now you hurt your arm. It felt like it was the next day. No. Oh, now you mean we don't always get our memories correct? Which, that, that's, that we could provide some marriage counseling right now because, you know, 41 years at plus into this, like, I guess we don't always remember the same things in the same way, do we, dear? No, we don't. <laughs> and I never call you dear, um, except in jest. But, but you are my dear. And, um, and so apart from our commonalities, um, we also, and this is something we actually learned personally th through our, our married life is really how different we are from each other. There's so many, I've, I think we both always uh, appreciated 
our commonality of, of many values that we've held together. We've, we've traveled across back and forth across this country and had so many different experiences and we've tracked together in so many ways, but our personalities are actually very, very different. Right. Do I, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so there's that, but, and whether that's reflected in also how we both came to know the Lord, only God knows, but our experiences of coming to faith are so very different. I, I sometimes refer to mine as wang bang boom. And I'll put a link to my my story in, in the description in case people haven't seen it yet. Um, but why don't we'll turn it over to you and, and uh, why don't you start with your family background and, and share with us how this amazing thing happened to you. Okay. All right, well, um, I was born into a very loving family. My parents loved each other and us very much. And I had a happy childhood. Um, we weren't very, we weren't very affluent. We lived in a very affluent neighborhood, but that didn't phase me. I just kind of went tra la la skipping through my childhood. Um, and we were very strongly Jewish culturally, but we were, my parents were atheists. And for some people I know, they think, well, how can that be? You know, that, that just doesn't go. God is God of Israel. And, you know, but if you look in the Bible, if you look in the Old Testament, um, our people didn't always track with God and, you know, turned away here and there. And, and yet they never ceased to be Israel. They're always Israel. Um, and so as a nation, as a people group, um, they were who they were, whether they were being obedient and following God and worshiping God or not. So I was born into this family, loving family. Um, I tell people that there's certain things I always knew. It's like I was born knowing about the Holocaust. I never remember hearing about it and thinking, oh, what a terrible thing. I always knew that this terrible thing had happened. And obviously, I wasn't born knowing it, but that is just how much the history of our people was uh, a part of who I was. Uh, my father, uh, his first language was Yiddish, and he had many careers, but uh, at one point he was the teacher and principal of a Yiddish school. So that was, um, again, just a cultural part of who we were. Uh, we didn't celebrate all the holidays, but we lit candles at Hanukkah, we celebrated that, and we always had Passover, Pesach with um, the relatives, extended family. It was always a special time. And one day, uh, when I was young, I don't have any idea how young, but one day my older sister, I'm the third of four, my older sister heard about God somewhere out there and asked my father about that. And he explained that some people believe that there's this God who created the universe. But as for he and my mother, they believed in evolution. And he told us a little bit what that was. And then he said, but when you grow up, you decide for yourselves. And a little Robin said, oh, no, dad, when I grow up, I'm going to believe like you and mom. And he said, no, when you grow up, you decide for yourself. Okay, so that background is very important. As I became a teenager, mid-teens, I guess, maybe 14, I saw a movie about Jesus that was popular in the theaters, a musical. And I saw it with a couple of friends who were Catholic. And um, we actually watched it twice in a row. 
we just stayed in the theater, watched it twice. We really liked it, uh, the music, the actors. And we were discussing it on the way home. And I was saying how I was so upset that Peter denied Jesus. And they said, oh, he had to. And I said, no, he didn't. And they just said, well, come to church with us. So that Sunday, my parents were out of town visiting friends. And I didn't think anything of it. I just went along with these friends to church. And uh, it was a, a folk you, mass where there are people. Do you want to explain guitars. why you thought your parents wouldn't think anything of it? Well, they were so open and, you know, decide for yourself. And it just was no big deal to me. Um, so off I went. And as I said, there were there were people playing guitars and it seemed really nice. And um, I didn't know at the time that I had any sort of missing something in my life, but it kind of filled that in a way. And in some way. And um, lo and behold, I found out when my parents were back in town that they weren't really thrilled with this at all. But I still wanted to go. So I continued going and, and um, they, they weren't really happy. They didn't forbid it. Uh, but I had this experience where um, one time we hadn't gone that Sunday morning and that Sunday we were riding bikes, my friend and I. And we happened around the area where the church was. And she said, oh, well, let's go in and pray. And so we went in and she went into the side room and knelt down before the statue of Mary and prayed. And there was something, even though I had no religious upbringing, okay, I did not know the Bible, but there was something so strong in me that went, like, I am not going to kneel down before the statue. And I didn't. Um, so I just found that really interesting that um, not not having any religious upbringing. I just somehow knew that that wasn't, that was not a thing I should do. Anyway, I was uh, in school and um, I had a Catholic history teacher and I asked him some questions as I, as I thought about things and he didn't give me very satisfactory answers. And I wasn't actively pursuing, uh, I'll say God or religion at the time. And uh, I guess I just stopped going with my friends. And then um, that particular school had quite a few uh, sort of Bible believing, I guess you could say evangelical believers. It was actually a French school. And in Quebec at that time, in Montreal at that time, the school boards were divided between Catholic and Protestant. So if you were Catholic, you went to Catholic. And if you were anything else, you went to Protestant. And so I was in the public Protestant school. And um, in this particular school, all the schools were, um, all the French schools were Catholic, except this one high school. There's this one smallish high school in Montreal that was public or what we call Protestant. And so people that were evangelicals would send their kids there, especially had a quite a few children that were pastor's kids. And these were people who were in the French ministry. And so I had quite a few of them as friends. I mean, one, uh, one girl who I think had recently come to faith and was quite zealous uh, said to me, Robin, do you know all Jews are going to hell? That did not <laughs> endear me to her. I did not fall on my face and repent. I was quite taken aback. Um, she gave me a New Testament, though, and in spite of her terrible presentation, I read it. Uh, 
correction. I read the first, I read the four gospels. And as I read it, it just seemed to me, I just had this, this is true. This is true. I believe this. I have to say that um, at that time, I had like many teenagers began to have all these questions about the meaning of life and um, why were we here? These kind of things. And I would think that I would think of my parents, hardworking people that would work until they were old and then retire and then maybe have a few years to enjoy or maybe be too sick to enjoy and then die and then eternal nothingness. And that bothered me. And I did wonder, like, is that all there is? Is there more? So all that was happening, these thoughts and then my reading. And um, I thought, I, I believe this. And I told a friend of mine who was a pastor's daughter, I said, uh, I said to her, I believe in God. I, I'm a Christian now. And so she was thrilled and she gave me a Bible and a help to read it every day and pray. And so I was reading the Bible every day and praying. But being as she was my best friend, she knew me really well. And she saw my life not change. And she did not approach me and say, Robin, don't you know that Christians don't do this or Christians don't do that or talk like this? She just prayed, you know, God, what, what is this work in her life? Whatever she prayed. Anyway, time passed. And um, it was 1976. So it was an Olympic year for Montreal. Montreal hosted the Olympics, Summer Olympics. And there was a lot of Christian activity, a lot of prayer meetings, I guess, and maybe um, evangelism. And um, she wrote me and my friend wrote me a, a letter days before email. She wrote me a letter and um, we actually lived quite far from each other. And she wrote me this letter and it was about how she had rededicated her life to the Lord. And she said, up to now, I've been a so-so Christian. And she pointed out things in her life that didn't line up with God's ways. And she just explained that she had sort of rededicated her life to God. And at that time, I remember clearly, I think I'd grabbed the letter as I was heading out to the job I had out to work. And I read it on the bus. And the joy of that letter jumped out and hit me. And I said, I want that. And so up to that time, I had been sort of thinking, okay, I believe in God now. And I believe in Jesus and, and that. But I didn't, uh, there hadn't been any life there as my friend had seen. And so my journey to God had been, has been, or was really gradual, but I to me, that's a turning point where something clicked with me. Now, I still didn't understand what some people would call, you know, the gospel message. I still didn't even know, really, that Jesus died for my sins. So it was months after that when I was talking to my friend on the phone, this very same friend. And I was saying to her how I did not believe in capital punishment because man is basically good. And she said, oh, do you really think so? And I said, oh, yes, that's, that's how I've been brought up to believe. And she said, do you think you're basically good? And I went, oh, yeah, basically. And um, I said, do you think you're basic, basically good? And she said, no, I'm a sinner. And I was like shocked. <laughs> you know, she was one of the goodest people I knew. 
And then she uh, showed me, she led me, she led me to understand that we are all sinners and we need, we need salvation. We need to be saved from that. And, and that is why Jesus died. And so then again, that, that sounded right to me. I agreed. Yes, that made sense. And I would say that after that moment in the bus where I thought I want that, that as I heard truth, I received it. So I would, you know, hear something. I was going to church regularly. I had heard, I would hear something and I'd be like, oh, yes, that. And oh, yes, this. And I was just like a sponge. Well, back to my parents. Um, once they saw that this was not going away, which I guess, you know, kids, they go through phases, teens, whatever. Once they saw that it wasn't going away, they did get very alarmed. And uh, they sent me to a rabbi uh, to talk with me. And, um, and things weren't always peaceful in our home. Um, for before, before you get to, to that, when you say yeah. when they were seeing it wasn't going to go away, from as best as you can understand from their perspective, what was the it? My beliefs, this life. Were you talking to faith? them at that point about it? Or is it just the fact that you were going to services? Um, well, they saw me not wanting to say white lies anymore, for example. Um, my parents were uh, normal people in the sense of, like, they were basically honest, but, you know, to lie to get a lower price into the theater or to, you know, cross-border shopping or whatever. I, and all of a sudden, that wasn't okay with me anymore. So... So they saw they saw some of your values change. They saw some of the values change. Um, do you do you remember they when? Didn't particularly, they didn't particularly like those changes. So, for example, like I remember thinking in those days, well, too bad I wasn't you know a drug dealing you know prostitute who gave it all up and they could see this amazing life transformation. Like I was. Um, I'm not a, you know, like I wasn't into drugs. I wasn't into extremely bad things. I was a normal teenager, um, better than well, a lot. A normal teenager and not into bad things. Okay. <laughs> you know, so so the, the the little tweaks that they saw. I mean, there was a big transformation in me, but but as far as what they saw, were things that weren't necessarily desirable. Do you, do you remember when you started to articulate your your new beliefs to them? Do you remember when that started? Um, well, I think that like, I, I can't specific, say specifically, but I think that was just a natural, it comes out of you who you are, especially when you're living with people especially when you're in the car crossing the border and your dad is saying like, say this and don't say yeah, this. Right, so but what I mean is at some point they find out some of the details of the former, what the former atheist is now thinking about God and Jesus. At some point okay, they well, find out I mean, the I details. Was, I was going to church, they didn't like that. So, so even though my dad had said, when you grow up, you choose. And I'm sure he meant it at the time. You know, he 
he considered himself liberal and open-minded and everyone should choose themselves. But you might think that, but when you're all flesh and blood who you love and cherish chooses something that you think is wrong, that's very painful. And I can appreciate that that was painful to him. Um, I was going to church weekly and I know I do believe if I would have become a religious Orthodox Jewish woman, well, teenager, I believe that would have caused him some grief. But, but this uh, was unthinkable. And let me explain that um, to a Jewish person, a Christian is the Pope, Hitler, like basically you know, you're not Jewish and you're not some other major religion, you know, Christian, whatever. Like it's, it's these people who have persecuted our people. And my parents grew up in a day where there was a lot of anti-Semitism. My parents grew up in a day, my mom tells a story of playing with a little girl and then her and her family go off to church and she comes back saying, you kill Christ. Like, me being one with those people now, obviously those people are not the people I'm aligning myself with, but to them, it's all the same, understandably. Um, so much, so many horrific things have been done in the name of Christ. And so my parents, you know, can't, couldn't be expected to distinguish between, um, you know, well, okay, those weren't you know, Jesus would be horrified at those acts in his name, you know, like. Can you, tell the, can you tell the story about coming home to, and telling your dad or your parents that you met these like pro-Jewish, pro-Israel yes. Christians for yeah. the first time? Yeah. So um, they were cousins of, of my best friend and uh, they lived in another city and they'd come over every summer and we'd all hang out, all these, you know, young people together. And I found that especially one of them, one of the young guys uh, had a real heart for Jewish people. And I told my father, I was excited. I said, dad, like this, this guy, like he really, he loves Israel. He loves our people. And he said, Robin, I hate to disillusion you, but behind every Christian is an anti-Semite. And that's what he believed. And so and he, you can't imagine he's not, but he's not, and he was not alone. And still to today, no. your parents have been gone for quite a while now, yeah. uh, because as, as you were explaining, because of our experience um, in uh, centuries in so-called Christian Europe, our understanding, the Jewish understanding of what, who Christians are and what Christianity is all about is very, very negative. And yes. it's, and we're not making it up. It, it actually did happen. No. And so those, yeah. bitter roots go deep deep down so then yeah. it's very common like what happened with with yourself is for parents of new believers like ourselves to may i say freak out well i remember going back to my childhood i remember being about i don't know eight or so seven eight and back in the day we would sing uh before school we at school but before the day started we would either sing god save the queen or a hymn. And I don't remember much of the hymns, but I remember one day it was onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. 
And again, I was little, where did I learn this? But I pictured crusaders, you know, marching off to kill our people. And I remember like pressing my lips tight. I was going to sing that, right? But again, like this, this is just sort of part, it goes in our veins. How did I know as such a little child about the crusades? But all these things, atrocities done in the name of Jesus. Um, again, my parents, uh, when they were university age, there were quotas, only this percent of Jewish people would the colleges, universities accept. Um, they, in their, you know, my parents' lifetime, there were signs on certain places, no Jews allowed or no Jews or dogs allowed on certain beaches. Like this isn't ancient history. It's my parents' day. And um, my father has had some different careers, but for years in a certain career, he was uh, kept down, like not able to sort of rise in the company because of his manager who was an anti-Semite. So there, there's a lot of bitter history and there are reasons why the name of Jesus is um, unappealing to say the least to uh, to Jewish people. Yeah, and, it, and it breaks my heart because- because he's the Jewish Messiah and he came, he came to our people. And so it's just so heartbreaking that he is unrecognizable, you know, and the paintings and, you know, we go on and on about yeah, how unrecognizable yeah. he is. So um, I just want to, I just want to yeah. mention, it's, it's interesting to hear you reflect about a time period in Canada where we Jewish people would see that we were living in a Christian country because nowadays that kind of ideas that it's, it's, it sounds really strange right now, but to think sure. that your dad would associate uh, anti-Semitism at his company with being rooted in Christian anti-Semitism, but in those days, the, the connection between the, the general society and Christianity was so much stronger than it eventually became and, and as it is today. So you just started, before I interrupted you, you just started talking about, you know, realizing about that that the jesus who we began to get into the habit of calling him by his hebrew name yeshua uh understanding how jewish yeshua really is when when did those connections become real to you do you remember because i like when i came to the lord it was like i didn't even know it had anything to do with christianity and, and people can can uh watch my story but in your context, it was your best friend was a Christian and and it and and so on. Uh, so how did the the Jewish connection happen? Do you, do you remember? Well, I know that when I was first among Christians and in church, people expected me because I was Jewish to know the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Bible, that's not. Uh, and so I think because it was expected, I really sort of devoured it. <laughs> and um, I think the more one reads it, the more one sees the Jewishness of the whole whole thing. Uh, I think I was aware pretty early on of the all the pro messianic prophecies. Um, yeah, still still to this day. As I read the New Testament, I am sometimes just thinking, this is so Jewish. But I can't, you know, I can't pinpoint 
a time when I made the connection. Um, I do remember early on thinking, he's the Jewish Messiah. Like, how is it? How's it being kept from our people? How, like, how do the vast majority majority of Jewish people not know this? Um, and I remember when my parents sent me to this rabbi, uh, I was ushered into his office and I sat down and I think he came and sat down and I said very confidently, have you ever read the New Testament? Thinking if anyone would read the New Testament, if any Jewish person would read the New Testament, they would see so plainly. And he said, I teach it at university. And I just thought, oh, dear. Well, that's <laughs> because you happen to pick or they happen to pick not knowing probably that they, he was one of the only uh, there are others. There are there are some Jewish scholars that have become expert in New Testament studies. Yeah. But uh, in Montreal, he might have been the only one. And I know who it was. I took a course with him at Concordia University at some point. Um, and you just happened to find it. Remember when you thought you were the one who came up with the idea for Messianic congregations? Yes, I do. I pictured I pictured a normal Jewish synagogue just where they knew Yeshua. And yeah. and they exist today, but I guess you were not the founder of 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 the movement, were you? No. Um you know, and it is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if I, I'm jumping too far ahead, but uh, you know, when I came to believe it was all within a Jewish understanding uh, of of the gospel, um, but still, with that foundation, and then by the time we connected, you, you also had a very strong understanding that we were following the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. But it took us a while to really reckon with the implications of what that should mean for our lives. And of course, that really came to the fore when we began to have children. I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about between <laughs> where we've got to and, and that, but you know, talking about how you and I have connected with our Jewishness and um, how Jewish our faith actually is. Um, we came yeah. in with, and, um, yeah, go ahead. Interestingly, interestingly, um, the four were four siblings. I'm the only one who married a Jewish spouse. Um, and I have always cared the most about my Jewish identity and um, yeah, observing the different things. Uh, you know, and, and like me, that happened, that concern happened after coming to believe in Jesus. Yes, yeah. yes, that's what, that's what sort of made it all matter. That's what made me care more vastly more um yeah but it was like it was the the package you know the context of my faith uh was the culture was not jewish um so so it took and so it took a, a while it was gradual to uh, look at to notice that and to note that the trappings and the culture uh, didn't have to be that way. In other words, uh, in another country in Africa, they're not going to worship like North American Christianity or like, you know, a certain type of, of Christianity. They're going to have a context and, and we have a Jewish context and 
the roots are Jewish. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just so Jewish. And so we, we, you and I, learn together to sort of separate and prayerfully consider uh, like our customs and what we observed and, and how we are. And um, we can be, and I think we're called to be all things 12 people. So we don't um, kind of enforce our ways or the Jewish culture on other people, um, just as I think is, that's how all believers should be to hold their culture more lightly. That's not, it's not equal to their faith. Now, having said that, sense. and I just want to ask you one more question before we look at your your book, because uh, I don't want to forget that. Um, and it's it's a bit of a surprise question, but it's something that I think we did we're dealing with all the time. So, after all is said and done, you're growing up years, you're coming to the the faith, the struggles you had with your 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 family, we our marriage, our, all our kids and all the rest. So right now today, what does being Jewish mean to you? I'm actually fighting back tears. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Well, being Jewish is who I am. Um, it's and I I want to say I think no matter um, like I think everyone should feel that way about who they are. So. Yeah, so I'm not saying Jewish, being Jewish is better than being anything else. I, I would hope to have the same feeling whoever God, you know, made me to be if I was whatever, um, from whatever background. But um, being Jewish is who I am. It's who God made me. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if it's right to say, like, it's, a, I think it's a blessing. I mean, um, our heritage is amazing. So um, I'm reading in Genesis now, and Abraham's faith. Are you going to say what's amazing about it? Because I don't want you to. Uh, so okay. what's so amazing? And you know what? You you know, I I love you. I, I'm happy to say that to everybody. And it's just interesting to me. That as soon as I asked you what turned out to be a very personal question, I, I did not know it was going to strike you the way that it did. Um, and we could talk about it in our debrief after, like I do with all my guests. Um, but it's interesting that you quickly went to be concerned about how other people might feel about how you feel about your Jewishness. And you affirmed other people in their culture. So we know, and you already mentioned how valuable people's culture should be to them. So with that in mind, what is the value of your Jewishness to you? Well, uh, I think because, um, because, back to Abraham, I am a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Uh, Abraham is the father of the faithful. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, God really, God really liked Abraham. <laughs> Um, you know, Abraham believed these impossible things that God told him, these impossible things, this old, old, old childless man whose wife was past childbearing and barren, and he takes him and looks at the stars, like in a actual starry sky that we don't know in the city, and said, you know, how these are going to be your descendants, um, this numerous, and Abraham believed so to me, it's an honor to be a descendant. Um, the New Testament says that basically he's the father of all those of faith. So I am a descendant like in the flesh, but, but he's the father of all those who have faith. And um, yeah, I would say, but that's, that's one thing that it means to me. Um Let's go back to something like last year when uh, Just, the rockets... I, I want to say something Okay, go else, ahead. Though. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Um, but like, if there's so, 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 so much more. And um, yeah, I just identify with our people who have suffered so much. And um, yeah, there's just, uh, there's a big bond. Let's I'll leave it at that for now. I could go on and on, but I won't. Yes, I'm going to dry out just a little bit more, I hope. So remember last summer, last summer uh, was the showering of rockets upon Israel. And we were, were reading about um, protests and support of groups like Hamas. And some of the things we read about um, pretty vile things said about our people. And you know, we know from Fiddler on the Roof, you know, Tevye has the, the, the main character has this comment near the beginning of the movie uh, where he refers to how much we've suffered as a people. And he says to God something along the lines of, if, if this is what it means to be chosen, why don't you choose somebody else? Is that how you feel? No. So how do you reckon with the fact that our people have been a target going at least all the way back to the story of Passover in Egypt. The Holocaust was not that long ago. And we get these signs that that kind of evil is just is ready to pounce, it seems like at, at any moment. And wow. here we are as believers, you know, there have been in the, a lot of people don't know in the history, like, a lot of Jewish people think that Jewish people become followers of Jesus to escape that stigma. Yeah, no. yeah, so um, I forget your question about all this. <laughs> yeah, so even though, and remember how we felt when we were reading those news reports about some of the vile yeah. things that were being said and how we felt that yet again we're in danger. Yeah, but well, um, I would say that Satan hates the Jewish people. Um. God loves the Jewish people. God loves all people, but God loves the Jewish people and has, you know, in history, he had a plan to bring the Messiah for the whole world, but he is the Jewish people and Satan tried to 
not let that happen. Okay, we can't thwart God. Um, but Satan hates what God loves. Um, and, and the Messiah came to the Jewish people. That was part of God's plan. And God has not rejected his people, as Paul says, and God still has plans. And um, Satan is the father of lies. And um, yeah, that was really getting to me last year, May, right? It was May um, when Hamas was throwing all those rockets and the lies, the lies that the media believes that, um, you know, Israel has invested so much in the like rocket dome and in, in say, you know, the bomb shelters and has so much in place. Life is such a value to God. And it's such a value to the Jewish people. And, and it's like, they, they have the least casualties because they've made, you know, they've made sure of that and God's hand is not to do, but, um, but Hamas has won the PR war ages ago and just, again, with lies and, and deceit. And, um, and it is painful. It is painful to stand by and hear, read, watch uh, the, the dissemination of lies. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't make it any less painful. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, knowing you as long as I have, um, I know somebody who, like myself, is very, very, um, holds truth as a very, very high value. And, you know, in, in talking to people and people with trying to help them with their issues, very often you will tell me, um, I spoke truth to them. I spoke truth and you've done that in, in my life too. You speak truth to me when I'm, I'm getting off kilter, you speak truth to me. And there, there's something about um, not necessarily the nature of our people, but God's commitment to our people and that he is, he's committed to, to using our people to, to um, reflect truth in the world, even when it, other people react very badly to it. And so while you didn't fully articulate it, uh, what, I've been, what I've been hearing is that, that even though it, it's, it's so hurtful to watch some, the lies, that hasn't, you, that hasn't caused you to, to shift anyway from the truth. And, uh, you know, the, the, um, in Romans 11, it talks about the olive tree. And we're privileged to be natural branches of that olive tree. That olive tree is open to anyone, but there's natural branches and the wild branches. And we're the natural branches. And it talks about how our people in unbelief, those branches have been lopped off. But it says, if we come back to faith, um, we'll be regrafted into our own olive tree. And that's who we are. That's who you are. You are a regrafted olive branch. And what a what a privilege, what a blessing to be uh, rooted, so to speak, in the in the in such deep history and, and the deep workings of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what a you know we've there's been a we, we have a million stories that we can tell all the things that we have gone through. Um, in all sorts of different ways, but God has been so faithful to us. 
Yeah. And to my, think that you take two kids from the Cote St. Luke neighborhood of Montreal that were in Yiddish school together and separately in these different ways, bring them to yourself. And then we get to walk together and have 10 children and seven grandchildren and counting. Soon to be eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. One thing I want to say um, one day, a young lady asked me, uh, she was very good at drawing out people and asking them questions, not just chit chat. And she said to me, um, you asked me something like, what is, you know, one thing you've learned this last, I forget what the time period was, but I want to say what I have learned over the, what is it now, 45 years that I've known the Lord uh, is that God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Amen. Here at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, with the time remaining, it's kind of funny because we don't have a hard stop time. But uh, so why don't you tell everybody about your book? Um, can you just do okay. a real brief how it came to be? And then we can okay. uh, try to tell people how to get a copy. 29 years ago, four-year-old Daniel said to me, I'm so bored. And I think you've been saying that a lot. And so on the basis of that, I wrote this story called Daniel's Dilemma about a little four-year-old boy who complains about being bored to his mother. And uh, his mother suggests that he goes around the house and finds things to do for others, for his siblings. And she makes these little cards that say, like, tidied by your secret servant or fixed by your secret servant. And he goes, he, he's a little skeptical at first. I don't know if that sounds like fun, but he goes and does it. And um, it turns out it is a lot of fun. And his siblings come when it's lunchtime, they come to the table saying, hey, I went to my room and I found this, you know, mess tidied up and this thing. And and the mother explains to them that, um, and they're all kind of wondering who it is, a secret servant. And, and the mother sort of cuts that off and says, you know, how, how Jesus said to, you know, we should serve one another. He also said, don't do your good deeds be noticed. And there's a secret servant around here. And um, anyway, they all end up on their own, making their plans and being secret servants. And I read that over the years to our children, just like on paper that I you know, computer paper that I printed it out on. And, and every time I'd read that to my kids, they'd, we'd have a rash of secret servants around the house that they do things. And, um, and then some years ago, I decided I wanted to actually publish it. And I had met this uh, young lady, Alexandra, who uh, I, I saw that she was a wonderful artist. And I asked her if she wanted to work with me on it. And she did. She was actually the sister of one of Daniel's roommates. And uh, so we got together a little bit to work on it. And um, then she went to China for two years to work in a school. And uh, by then, before she left, I'd already seen what a wonderful, godly young lady she was. And not just a wonderful, godly young lady, but, but perfect for Daniel. How she loved God and how much she loved other people. And I just thought, oh, she's perfect. And so when she told me she was going to China, I thought, well, that doesn't work for me very much. How are you going to get together with Daniel? But anyway, she did go to China and she did come back and she did marry Daniel. And uh, somewhere along the way, she was working on the illustrations and just finished them this summer. And, and she's amazing. She's an amazing artist and really lovely illustrations. And so we just got this published uh, recently. And if you live in the States, it's available at Amazon.com. Um, we're having a bit of trouble in Canada. Yeah, so let, let's so, let's try to let's try to explain that to everyone. So, 
we ran into some issues because of how good the book was going to be. And we ended up with this full color hardcover book that is absolutely gorgeous. Thanks to Alexandra's artwork, to the layout person and the the publisher that we use to print it. This first, it's a self-published book. Um, so it is, it's wonderfully high quality, but we've run into some issues just how to get it to people. So um, as Robin was just saying, if you're in the States, amazon.com, just look up Robin Gilman, uh, Daniel's Dilemma. I'll put the link in the description, get it no problem. We have some of our, uh, some people have already purchased it uh, there. And uh, as far as you know, in, in places like the UK and even Japan, get it no problem. For some reason, we're having trouble with amazon.ca, the Canadian one. So you could go there and you could see it. Um, it's being um, currently, it's available on Amazon through an Amazon connection called uh, Book Depository. And you could get it that way, but it's going to take a while for it to arrive, but you could get it that way. Also, uh, it's showing, you might also see on amazon.ca that it's not in stock. You could try ordering that way and that might be one of the ways to get it unstuck. And for those of you who pray, could you pray that we can get it distributed well in Canada? It, you can get it, it's just, it, there's some obstacles. Also, if you're in Ottawa, we should have some copies here soon, right? And oh, yeah. yeah, and then you'll be able to get them from us. So how could people, how would you like people to contact you, Robin? Uh, there's your blog, which, where should we send them? I don't know. I'm kind of, I have two blogs, one specifically for homeschooling parents and one general one. And yet uh, we're trying to get this other website going where everything will be there, but we're kind of in the middle of transition. So, so we'll give, we'll give, we'll give the two sites, the stressfreehomeschooling.com and your, uh, the one that's called Not Weary and Well-Doing. I'll, yeah. I'll put both and, of those links in there. Yeah, you can give them uh, my email address. And so they can contact me that way. And maybe even then, um, once we get everything all amalgamated and just perfect, I could email you and let you know, this is where to go. Okay. Uh, again, for, for my writings, for we might be able to get set up even to buy the book through there. I don't know. Yeah, but, we're, work, we're working on it all. Um, yeah. And it has been a lot of work, hasn't it? <laughs> what is that? that? Say that again. I said, if you're local, buy the book through me. Right. So if you want to contact Robin by email, that's robin.gilman at protonmail.com. That'll also be in the description. Well, Robin, this has been wonderful. There's just so much more that we could say. Maybe we will do this again, talk about some of our family adventures and some of the things we've learned and are still learning. Um, about raising children after all this time. And so um, I, I'm going to let you go. So thank you all so right. much. It's been great. Thank you. Well, special thanks to my wife and her, her, her patience with me. And I'm sure we're going to talk about our conversation in a little bit. Uh, but um, yes, do check out Robin's book and Robin's blog and all the rest all in the description. And remember, you can always contact me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically. Mm -hmm.